Welcome to The Penny Drops, the Royal London podcast series simplifying finance to help more people, like you, make better informed money decisions. Each episode, Andrea Fox grills a guest to get the best tips on issues such as savings, pensions, budgeting, debt, family finance, marriage and retirement. She's finding the answers we're looking for and getting expert tips that you can put into action. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London. Hello, I'm Andrea Fox, presenter and broadcast journalist, and welcome to The Penny Drops, where I speak to some of the best financial experts out there. On this episode of The Penny Drops, I'm speaking to award-winning journalist and author Sarah Pennells, aka The Savvy Woman, because that's the amazing money website she founded aimed at women. Plus, you may have also seen her as a money expert on BBC's Ripoff Britain, and she's here today to talk pensions. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. You're very welcome. Let's talk about... Pensions. It's not exactly how the song goes, is it? But um, it's kind of one of those topics we shy away from, but it's an important topic. I always feel like um, I should really know what a pension is, but if I can't explain it to a child, I feel like I probably don't understand it myself. So before we get into the difference between state pensions and personal pensions, what exactly is a pension? How is it different from savings or just having loads of money in your bank account? In its simplest form, a pension is is a vehicle, it's a product that helps you to set aside money when you're working, and then you can take that money out and spend it once you've stopped working, once you've retired. So there are a couple of things that pensions have that other products such as savings accounts don't have. So one of them is something called tax relief. And financial services has a huge amount of jargon and pensions are no exception. So I always say try and ignore the jargon and just understand what it means. So tax relief means that some of the tax that you would pay to the government is diverted and it essentially tops up money that you pay into your pension. So, for example, if I'm a basic rate taxpayer and I pay um, £80 into my pension, then I can get tax relief of £20 and £100 will then go into the pension for me. Now, you don't get that with ordinary savings accounts. The trade-off for getting that tax relief is that you can't get at money that's in your pension until you're at least 55. And the whole point of that is that I think when the government, previous governments set up the rules around tax relief, they didn't want money people putting loads of money in, getting the tax relief, taking all the money out of their pension, and then when they retired, having to maybe rely on benefits or, or, or not have money themselves. So that's why there's that it's a rule that says the money has to stay in until you're at least 55. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes I think for young people, it can be quite scary to think all that money is getting locked away. But it is your nest egg for the future. And like you say, that's what you're going to have to live off at some point. So why should we be thinking about pensions? Why are they so important? It is really important. And and you're right. It isn't something that many people get very excited about. But I think the way to think about them is, is just to think about the life you want when you stop work, whenever that is. And what are you going to live on? And unless you have, you know, wealth that you were maybe born into or you have a string of properties... Or the lottery. Or the lottery, (laughs) you're going to have to have some money to live on. And for most of us, that means while you're working, setting aside some of your salary or your earnings if you're freelance every month, if you can, building up a pot of money so that when you stop work, you have that money to live off. Because if you don't have a pension 
then you're going to rely on the state pension. And that is not a huge amount of money. It won't probably pay for the kind of retirement that most of us want to have. So how does it work when it comes to working out exactly how much you should put in? Well, there are a lot of things to think about. And I think you're right that I think for some people um, with pensions, you think, well, you know, when should I start saving? And Mm. it's it either feels too early or too late. So if you're (laughs) in your 20s, I think a lot of people, the word pension has an association with old. You know, it's something that you need to be old in inverted commas to think about. And yet I hear from quite a few women who may be in their sort of 50s who say, I think I've left it too late. So you kind of feel like, well, when do you need to start? I mean, obviously, the earlier that you choose to retire, then the more money you need because you're going to have more life um, beyond work where you're going to have to live off your pension money. So the earliest age that you can take money out of your pension at the moment is 55. Mm -hmm. But that is likely to change and rise a bit in the future. There's no official retirement age as such. There's no age at which we all have to stop work. But for a lot of people, it will be, you know, somewhere between 60 and maybe late 60s. We are finding that as the state pension age is rising, and I guess as generally we are getting a bit healthier, Mm. many people, I guess, want to dial down the way they work. So they don't necessarily want to work one day and then find the next day they have no work at all. Maybe they want to ease themselves out of work over a period of years. But I know of people who are still happily working in their 70s, and that's actually how they like it. I think you need to think about what kind of life you want to have when you retire. And... You know, we have very different ideas, I think, about the kind of life. Some people live very frugally. They're quite happy. They may have some interests that don't cost a lot of money. That's what they want. They want to maybe sort of, you know, live at home, see friends and family. Others, they want the cruises. They want a new car every year. You know, they want to do up the house. And a retirement that doesn't include that would feel like a real disappointment. So for a start, you need to kind of picture the life that you might have when you stop working. The other things that will determine how much you need to pay in are whether you're in an employer's pension scheme or whether you say you work for yourself, you're self-employed, and therefore you are the person who is paying for your retirement. And in that case, the really bad news is you need to put more money into the pension because you're not getting money from your employer, which sort of boosts uh, the the, the premium, the the pension contribution that's going in and means that you might reach that goal a little bit quicker. Yeah. So if you're like me, you're freelance, you're going to have to be putting a little bit extra into your own pension. Whereas if you're working, you get employee contributions. And is that a bit like um, the tax relief you were talking about before? Yeah. So if you're working, you get employer contributions Mm -hmm. and then you put money in as well. And then you get this government tax relief. So there's sort of three elements. And I think it's probably just worth explaining a bit about the different kind of workplace pension schemes. So um, many people now who work, who are either employed or they're on a contract, they will have been automatically sort of essentially plunked into their employer's pension scheme without them having to do anything. They don't have to fill out any long forms or even necessarily take an active decision to, to join the pension scheme. Now, you can you can leave the pension scheme if you want. You can opt out. You, mm. Nobody forces you to stay in. Now, that's something that came in, started to come in at the end of 2012. It's called automatic enrolment. And I think it was actually a game changer and a really great idea with pensions because, frankly, most people have got better things to do than think about signing up to their employer's pension scheme. And as you say, most people find it very complicated. It's boring. It's off-putting. Yeah, this means it's a thing for the future, like it, you said. I think if you ask most people, you know, Um, about prioritising how they spend their money, 
I think if people are honest, they'd probably feel that a lot of the time there's always something better to spend your money on than your pension. Mm. But actually, which is true. Especially I mean, I, if you're saving for a house, even if you're not being frivolous or something. Yeah, it's not necessarily about being frivolous. But I think, and I completely understand why people think like that. But I always think that although obviously you may have day-to-day priorities that you have to pay, mm-hmm. but you also have to think, I will have, you know, you could have 20, 30, 35 years after you retire what will I live on? But anyway, so back to these pensions. So many people have been plonked into their employer's workplace pension. And there are, there are a couple of different types. So uh, people probably have heard of final salary pensions. These are often described as gold-plated or the Rolls-Royce of pensions. And these are pensions where the amount of money you get when you stop working is related to the salary you earned while you worked. It'll be sort of a fraction of the, of the salary that you earned while you were working. Now, th- there are still around... 30% of, of people are in those schemes, but they're not really generally open to new people to join. So the people who are in them are people who joined a number of years ago. Right. Most people these days who are signing up to their employer's pension scheme are in a different kind of pension, a bit of jargon. It's called a defined contribution pension. But what it means is it's basically a pot of money that your employer pays into with their contributions, you pay into, and then you get this tax relief. The money builds up while you're working. Um, when you retire, then there are different things that you can do. And I think we'll be, we can talk about that a bit later. But those, in very broad terms, are the two different types of schemes. And you said about being freelance and, you know, I, I worked for myself for years and I understand this. So if you have your own pension, you're essentially having one of those pension pot type of ones because nobody's going to pay me a final salary <laughs> pension because... We'll get because our tiny viol- yes, violins exactly. out there. Um, but essentially it's down to it's down to us then to yeah. pay in whatever we think we can afford or whatever we think we need to because we don't benefit from those contributions from our employer so we talked about being self-employed where do you go to set up a pension i think this is one of the things that makes it much harder for people who are self-employed is is this idea of not quite knowing where to start mm. so there there is a lot more information online now about the kind of different pensions that are on offer in different pension companies so i think my first point would be to have a look at the different pension providers. Just, you know, put pension terms into, into search engines and have a look at how they give their information and whether you feel like, actually, this site's quite easy to use. I understand what they're saying. But also, a lot of people these days, we tend to move around from, from job to job. We don't have a job for life. You might already have a pension from a previous workplace. And if it is one of these pension pot type of ones, then you could look at that as your starting point and thinking, well, maybe I could stay with the same company. If you're, you know, if it's a company that you think actually they gave quite good information, it was quite easy to use their app or website, I quite liked them. What I would say is, although it's not as easy as if you are employed where basically the decision is taken out of your hands, yeah. <laughs> please don't use that as a reason not to start a pension. Mm. Because like with a savings account where I get asked a lot, what's the best savings account? And it kind of depends on what you're looking for. But I would say if you find a good one, until you have a fair amount of money, it's not such an issue because you can always move the money. Mm. And the good thing about pensions now is they're much more flexible than they used to be. And you can always move the money around within different funds or indeed to a different provider if you want to in the future. Perfect. So when I'm putting my cash into a pension, where on earth does all my money go? Where's it being invested? I think it's really important to talk about this because we talk about, you know, pensions and the product and putting money in and tax relief. But the really important bit is that that money is invested for you. So uh, if you have a final salary scheme, you don't have to worry about it. But if it's Mm -hmm. one of these pension pot type of ones, 
then your money is being invested. Now, normally there's what's called a default fund. Now, this is basically a fund that your money goes into if you don't make an active decision to invest it elsewhere. But I think at risk of sounding like a an investment geek, I think it's really <laughs> important to think about where your money goes because, um, I mean, there's a lot in the news at the moment about climate change, you know, mm. a lot in the news. You might be somebody for who that kind of stuff is really important and you might therefore want your money to be invested in line with your beliefs. Or maybe it doesn't matter to you at all, but you think, actually, I've got 30 years until I'm thinking of retiring. I don't mind taking a bit more risk with my money at the moment. I want to invest it in maybe some uh, countries in what's called emerging markets. So some countries where uh, outside of the UK and Europe, for example, where you could get a higher return, but you could end up taking a lot more risk. But if you don't get interested and you don't find out where your money's invested, you don't get to make those decisions. Yeah. And I'm a bit of a control freak. I quite like to know <laughs> what's happening. And I certainly want to know what's happening with my money and make a choice about where it's invested. So when it comes to the state pension as well, how, how does that work? Because I know it's something to do with national insurance contributions. Yeah. Am I right? So the state pension is uh, you can qualify for that if you've paid or been credited with a certain a number of years of national insurance contributions. Mm -hmm. And there are, there are sort of two different systems of the state pension. There's a system that existed before April 2016 and a new system brought in from the 6th of April 2016. And a lot of people who are retiring now and who will be retiring over the next sort of 10, 20 years may have a pension built up under a mix of those two systems. So for simplicity's sake, I'll talk about the new system. So okay. you need 35 years of national insurance contributions to get a full state pension, which is about £170 a week. And that can be national insurance contributions that you paid because you were employed or because you were self-employed. Mm -hmm. Or maybe if you were bringing up your children or in some cases caring for a relative, you can get national insurance credits. And likewise, if you're on certain benefits, you can get national insurance credits. So you don't necessarily have, have to have actively paid them, but you okay. do have to have this record where either the government sort of paid essentially on your behalf or they were paid as part of your you know, PAYE when tax and national insurance is taken from your pay packet. Right. So that's kind of the pensions that are available. So... What makes a good pension out of the ones we can choose from because we can't really change the state pension? I think there are two ways of answering that question. I think if you're employed or you're on a contract so you can join your employer's pension scheme, then I think the sort of slightly flippant answer would be one where your employer pays a, a big contribution on your behalf. <laughs> the kind of pensions that many people are joining now, the pension pot type of ones, well, the minimum amount that an employer can pay at the moment is around 3% of your salary. Okay. Um, and then you pay in 4% and then there's the tax relief on top, which is an extra 1%. But some employers are much, much more generous. So in the same way that, you know, if you were looking for a job or you were having an interview for a job, then you'd look at the salary being offered and you might try and negotiate quite hard on that. I think it's actually really important to ask questions about the pension scheme and say, you know, what kind of pension do you offer and how much do you pay? Because... The, the generosity or otherwise of your employer could have a huge effect on the kind of pension you get to, reti to retire on in 10, 20, 30 years' time. Wow. If you're not in that situation, maybe you work for yourself or you're, you're, you don't qualify to join your employer's scheme and you're choosing one, then I think it's slightly different because then it's much more about a pension that makes it easy for you to make your payments. And that's, I mean, some of them, they, they're much more user-friendly in terms of the website or they might have an app. One that 
um, it explains things in a way that you understand. So you feel kind of engaged and a bit interested in your pension. And one that, uh, I mean, one of the pensions that I've got, I can go onto their, their website and I can find out how much more I'd get if I paid a little bit extra now. And it's quite an incentive when you see in, you know, pounds and pounds and pence terms. Yeah, the cold hard cash, Sarah. Exactly, because it's not about, you know, I, you know, I know I should probably pay more into my pension. I think all of us should. Um, but actually, I can see this is the difference it would make. And it does make it more likely, I think, that, that we act on it then because yeah. it's not just theoretical. So would you say you've maybe got some leverage to uh, go to an employer or someone you're thinking of joining and saying, could you up my contributions or would you think about putting another percentage on my pension contributions? Is that something you would recommend? Well, I think it's I think it's definitely worth looking at the pension scheme that's on offer from different employers before you think about applying okay. for a job. And also, I mean, a lot of employers who I talk to tell me that pensions aren't really on the agenda. But we know that certain things like flexible working, for example, is on the agenda now in the yeah, way that it wasn't news. years ago. And I do think it's one of those things that if we all started talking about our pension, say, actually, hang on, you're just paying the minimum by law and we'd quite like you to pay a bit more. It's the kind of thing not all employers will take it on board, but I think some would. So I do think it's really good to do your research before you apply for the job and just to be aware of what your employer is paying. Yeah. But also it is something that, you know, employers want feedback from their workers. Why not? The worst they can say is no, and they may well think about it if enough people raise it. I think that's a good idea. Maybe give them some feedback at the Christmas party. Who knows? <laughs> why I mean, not? <laughs> why not? You've talked about pay as well. So how much should we be putting into our pension? It's the classic question. It's taken us a while to get there. Come on, tell me how much. Um, Just give me your figure, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> well, th there is a formula which has been sort of knocking around for quite a few years now, and it, I can see the logic behind it. So this formula is you take the age at which you start putting money into your pension okay, and then you divide that by two and then that is the percentage of your salary or earnings that you pay in. So if you're, if you're 25 when you start set, setting aside money for your pension, then 12.5% of your salary goes into your pension. If you're 40, then it's 20%. If you leave it until you're 50, then it's a quarter of your salary. Um, now, that that might sound, you know, completely scary or not, depending on your view. It does sound a bit scary, but I suppose, like, if you if you can afford it, that's a good thing. If you can't, maybe you should just be thinking, I need to put my money elsewhere. Well, I, I think if you can't afford that, virtually everybody, something is better than nothing. It really mm. is. And don't think, oh, that, that, you know, I'm nowhere near that figure. I just can't spare it. So I'll leave it until I can because... Do you think people do that a lot? I think put it off. I, I do genuinely think sometimes there's a danger of talking about these figures because those people who are not able to mm. pay the whole lot think, well, actually, there's no point. So that's what one formula. And if you're 25, say, and you've got this 12.5%, yeah. that's not just money from your salary. That would be your employer contributions and the tax relief. So then it just maybe doesn't sound quite so scary. Mm. And surely 5% is better than nothing, right? It absolutely is. And the other thing is... If you start off with, say, you know, four or five percent and then if you get a pay rise or a bonus, you think, well, I'm going to put either all my pay rise or quite a bit of my pay rise into my pension. Because I think it's I think there's two things that are crucial. I think it's starting. Hmm. And once you start, you really don't notice that money going. And also thinking if I have extra money that I haven't yet accounted for, as in a pay rise, some or all of that I'll put into my pension and I think those two things can make a massive difference 
to the amount of money that you finally have to retire on. Mm. And you've talked about how much you spend and how you want your retirement to be to kind of think about how much you might need when you to retire comfortably. Um, but I mean, when it comes to retirement age, what options do we have at that point? Yeah. You mentioned about how much people might need. And yeah. there are some figures from... I think it's the uh, Department of Work and Pensions that show that the average amount that somebody who's retired has now is about £21,000 a year. There's another um, way of looking at at it, which apparently is if you ask most people what they'd like to retire on, the figure they come up with is generally about three quarters of their salary. Okay. Now, for some people, it may be more because it depends on what costs they don't have, as in if they don't have a mortgage but if somebody's still renting, then obviously they'll still have to pay for their for their living for their housing costs. Mm. But that might be a starting point. Now, when you retire, the choices you have depend on the kind of pension that you have. So, if you have one of these final salary pensions, then it's sort of like essentially you get your wages, except that it's now your pension and you'll get a different amount. But you don't see a huge amount of difference. You'll carry on getting these regular payments. The big choices come for those people who've got these pension pot types where, you know, you've had the money invested over all the years and then suddenly you get to retirement age and you think, well, now what, you know? And because of a change in the rules in April 2015, you now have much more choice about what you do. So the choices are essentially you can do nothing, you can leave the money where it is. Mm -hmm. And if you don't need it, I mean, most people probably will, but if you don't need it, then there's no reason to take it out because as soon as you take that money out... Only a quarter of it, 25%, is tax-free. The rest is potentially something that you pay tax on. Right. And I certainly hear from people who take the money out because they think it's my money, I want that money, mm. put it in the bank, and then they pay tax on the money they've taken out, and then they pay tax uh, potentially on the interest as well. So, mm. so you can leave it where it is. Okay. The other thing is that you can uh, take little bits of money out as you or take sort of several chunks of money out directly as you need it. And in that case, the first 25% of anything you take out is tax-free, but you may be taxed on the rest. Uh, you can you can cash it all in. Again, you could end up with a very, very large tax bill. Mm. <laughs> um, you can do something that's called income drawdown. And apologies again for more jargon. <laughs> but what that means is it's basically a way of It's a product where you can take out this tax-free lump sum first of all and then the rest of it is put into a a special kind of pension where you can set up to have payments, say, monthly or quarterly or annually. And it's just designed to be more flexible because pensions have been around for donkey's years Mm -hmm. and not all of the products that are around today are flexible that will let you take out bits of money as you need. And then the final option, which is the one that people used to sort of have to do if they had this kind of pension, was converting their pension pot into a regular income through something called an annuity. And that was designed to pay you a generally monthly payment for as long as you lived. Right. And you talk about um, you brought up mortgages just there and uh, how pensions used to be. So things have changed. Do you think that maybe considering that um, house buying is kind of much more difficult than maybe I'm thinking about my grandparents' age, do you think that the way we think about pensions is changing or will need to change in the future? I definitely think that there's a there's a different pressure on, on people today who are kind of starting out in their working lives and thinking yeah. about buying a house. And one of the questions I get asked a lot is, should I, is it better to save for a deposit now or to start a pension? Yeah. 
And I, I, there are actually a couple of products that the government introduced a couple of years ago that are designed to let you save for a deposit. And if you don't use the money for the deposit, then you can put it towards your retirement. Mm -hmm. But I would say, I mean, I think for a lot of people, saving for a deposit for their first property is going to be a priority and they will feel or they may feel that they can, you know, pay into the pension later on. All I would say is if that is what if that is your choice, make sure you don't put it off for too long because I do hear from a lot of and I mean I mainly hear from women because that's who my website mm -hmm. is aimed at, but I hear from a lot of women who say, "Oh, you know, at the time I felt I couldn't afford it, but now I look back, it's, you know, it's it's over 10 years has gone by and now I feel really worried about the fact I haven't got enough time to save. So um, it is possible through automatic enrolment um, that you can pay, you know, relatively modest amounts of, you know, 4% essentially of your salary um, into your pension, which may be something that you feel you can afford. And then once you've got the deposit for your home, you can then you know, increase the amount that you're you're putting into your pension. Yeah. So anything that you can manage as early as you can is is going to be beneficial in the long run. Obviously, you're the savvy woman. That's your website aimed at women. We've talked about having sort of breaks to look after kids. What's the difference when it comes to pensions for men and women, and what things should maybe women be looking out for? We, we hear a lot about the gender pay gap. We mm. have done over the last couple of years. Uh, and something called the gender pension gap is beginning to be talked about, although not as much. I've never heard that phrase. It's it's very interesting because although obviously the gender pay gap is a big issue, mm. but potentially the gender pen pension gap is more serious because what it is, it's women do still tend to be more likely to be the ones to take time out of work to look after children. So women are more likely to have those gaps in their um, employment records. And although you can get national insurance credits for while you're looking after your children up to a certain age, mm -hmm. it may not exactly match what you're, what you're what missing you as well. What you need to take, I suppose, yeah. And also women are more likely to work part-time after they've had children. And again, there could be an effect there. And then the other issue is that because of the gender pay gap, or, or women do tend to earn less. So therefore, they're percentage of their salary is going to be lower than, you know, a man who's earning more. So there's less money going into their pension in, in the first place. And then depending on whether you've made decisions yourself about where that money is invested, women tend to, I mean, it's often said that women are more risk averse or women are cautious. And I, 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 I hear don't that. I, yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's quite a lazy stereotype. <laughs> but I do think that sometimes the explanations of risk uh, around money don't really resonate with women. And, you know, my own personal view is if a company can't explain to me the risk that I'm taking with my money, why should I trust my money to them? Mm. So I think sometimes women end up being more cautious, not because we are inherently more cautious, but because we don't necessarily feel very comfortable about the language that's being used. But anyway, for those three reasons, women can end up with a dramatically lower pension than men. There was some research that was published last year which showed that um, a woman at age 65 was going to retire on, on average, a pension that was a fifth the size of a man wow. age 65, which is absolutely staggering statistic. And I think a lot of people are quite shocked about that. That yeah. is terrifying. And definitely, you're not going to be going on very many cruises, I imagine, with that, as we no. mentioned at the start. So, so do you think it is much more important for women to engage with the whole pension issue? 
I think it's important for both men and women, but I do think that certainly to women I talk to, when you say this is how, this is the kind of pension you could end up with and this these are the kind of things that could affect how much money you get. I mean, most women aren't aware of it and then when you tell them they're absolutely horrified. Mm. So I just think it's one of those things that, you know, I do understand that the rules around pensions can seem complicated. The terms can seem quite hard to understand. And it's kind of quite hard to get excited about a pension if you think of it as being a being this sort of project. Yeah. But actually, I think if you flip it around and think, this is going to this is something that will enable me to have the life that I would like to have when I stop work. That's what you can get excited about, yeah. is actually what you do when you stop work. And that's why I think it's really important for women and men mm. to think about their pension. And like you said, if you can go on to some of the uh, pension providers that you mentioned at the start, where you can see what it would add up to when you retire, if you put in a little bit more now, that's quite an incentive, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's uh, it's something that a lot of pension companies are doing now. They're providing much more information that I think relates much more to how we think about money. So mm. rather than just sending you a statement or telling you that you can log in once a year and see how your pension's doing, it's actually, well, do you want to see what difference paying a little bit extra could make? And I mean, I was genuinely surprised when when I first went onto this site and had a, had a quick look. And I think that's the kind of stuff that actually might make a difference because you can think, well, maybe I can't afford this much, but I can afford that. Oh, and that could give me that could give me this much more in retirement. And that could be the difference between, as you say, sort of, you know, a nice meal out every week or or feeling that you're having to live a kind of life that you never imagined while you were working. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose when I first started thinking about pensions, I just thought, well, how do I know I won't run out of money? So what would you say to people who are confused about that? I think this is actually quite a big issue because the choices that we've had since April 2015 about how we take money out of our pension pot type mm, of pension. Like you were saying, the lump sums and Exactly, down taking and... little bits or lump sum. Or, I mean, that's great because you do get more choice and more flexibility, but it also means that you have to be the person to make those decisions or if you have a financial advisor or planner, they have to help you make those decisions. So one of the issues is that we are apparently notoriously bad at estimating how long we're going to live for. And I don't mean individually, as in how long I'm going to personally live for. <laughs> but we generally just don't think we're going to live as long as we, you know, science and we're history is telling We're than we think. <laughs> exactly. So people, I think, are in danger of running out of money if they do take too much out. There used to be a formula that was saying that you would take, you could take 4% out of the original amount in your pension pot. So say you've got, you know, £200,000 or something. Mm -hmm. You could take 4% out of that every year. Now, obviously, the pension pot is going to go down, but you still take the 4% of the original amount you had. But actually, people are saying now that's too much because interest rates are low and investment returns, which have been historically very good, we're kind of in some fairly, you know, who knows what's around the corner at the moment. It's quite hard to predict what's happening next week, never mind in a few <laughs> years' time. So I think this is some. This is a, a, a case when it's a really good idea to either get advice from a financial advisor, mm. or there is a, a government service, a government-funded service called PensionWise, which can't give you advice, but it can at least talk you through the options. But I think for most people, unless you're very comfortable making that kind of decision. I think it's something where it's a really good idea to get some professional help. Yeah, that sounds like a big, tough question that you want some experts to have a real deep delve into your own personal look at. So, Sarah, if you had three top three takes, the top three things you want people to take away from this episode, what would they be? Firstly, 
Start saving into a pension if you aren't already. Don't put it off and think, oh, I can do that when I'm a bit further down the road. Start as early as you possibly can. Secondly, think actually about the kind of life you want when you retire. Because it's it's all very well to think about putting a bit of money into your pension. But if you don't know about how much you want to live on and what money you might have, you won't know what the gap is between what you're saving and the kind of life that you really would like. And the last tip would be that if you get a bonus or you get a pay rise, put some or all of that money into your pension. You might feel a bit hard done by when you don't have much of your money to spend now. But I tell you, your future self will thank you. Sarah, we always like to ask our guests whether they were always money savvy. So 18-year-old Sarah's in the room. What advice would you give her? It's very unoriginal because I think most people say, well, save more for your retirement. But I I think I wish I had started saving earlier. I love hearing that. It's not just me. No, it's not. <laughs> um, and I, I, I wasn't somebody who found finance fascinating when I was kind of teenager at university. so crazy considering you run the website um, now. It was actually, I started working on a personal finance programme on radio and I just, it really sparked my interest because wow. I could see... I could see the difference that a small amount of knowledge could make in terms of the decisions that you, uh, you know, I could personally make. Mm. And that's what sparked my interest. The one thing I am really glad about was when I did go freelance, I set up a pension the same month I went freelance because I thought if I leave it, there will always be something else to spend my money on. So that's the one thing I would say that was good. But if I had my 18-year-old self in the room, I would definitely say start a bit earlier. Amazing. As always, we will have more resources and links and useful information available in the episode notes. Thank you so much for joining me on The Penny Drops. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Penny Drops. We hope you learned something new and useful to help you with your finances. We'd love to hear what you think of the series, so please do leave us a review. Or if you have any comments or money questions you'd like us to cover, you can get in touch at thepennydrops at royallondon.com. This podcast series is brought to you by Royal London, the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company. Royal London, determination since 1861. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London. Royal London.